You're listening to a sermon from Metro North Church in Goose Creek, South Carolina. If you'd like to connect with us, visit us online at metronorthchurch.com. Oftentimes, uh, when the preacher gets up, everybody kind of cringes, because preaching is typically a guy yelling at you for 30 minutes, that you're not together. What if today, the day of our Lord's resurrection, instead of being yelled at for not being together, you could be reminded that none of us are together? In fact, you're looking at a very rough first draft. We don't have to be together. Our Lord is together. If you've been part of our church family, we've been walking through the book of Daniel. It's a strange, supernatural book. And yet it meets us because it's about a teenager who was ripped out of Jerusalem about 25 centuries ago, and he had to do life in Babylon. What if you today got taken from your home and brought to North Korea to live out the rest of your days? Now you're getting the idea of this strange supernatural book about a teenager who has to do life. The story where we're kind of going to enter it is that he had already been in Babylon for about 70 years. He's probably in his 80s at this point. And it's a weird story. He's tired. He's overwhelmed. Like many of us, he's fallen asleep. And this angel shakes him awake and gives him a beautiful vision of the future. Would you please stand as we enter this strange, supernatural story? Daniel 12. At that time, Daniel, shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation, till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightest of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand in his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I didn't understand. Then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly and 
None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offerings is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred ninety days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the one thousand three hundred fifty-five days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Would you pray with me? Father, you know the sins that we can't shake this morning. They're killing us. Father, you know the secrets that we can't share because they're so dark. Would you send your Holy Spirit and bring us hope from this ancient story? Pour truth into our mind and peace into our restless heart. In the living Christ's name, amen. Well, with your Bible open, please be seated. Well, if we're going to talk about life, we have to talk about death. And I want to show you a picture of a gravestone that means a lot to me. I'm named after a man named Howard Cole. I wonder if you're named after someone in your family. My father and my mother are here today, and this is my dad's dad. When my dad was a teenager, he held his own father in his arms when he died of cancer. I've never met my grandfather, Howard Cole. So when our kids were old enough, we went to Arlington. He was a naval officer, and we went and saw this gravestone. I don't know if you can see at the bottom where it says, Howard Cole, Captain U.S. Navy, World War II. I really didn't want to go there, but I knew I had to grow up enough and get my kids to face the reality of death. I love my son Stephen up in the right corner. Notice what he's doing with his eyes. What every kid does in a picture, he closes his eyes. I asked the kids, are you okay if I put this picture up? And Steve texted back, classic, my eyes are closed. We often close our eyes to death because we don't want to deal with it. I know I did and still do. We often are asleep to this reality of death. I know that when I was in that cemetery, which means a sleeping place, something happened to me. It was as though the covers were pulled down on my own unexamined beliefs. And death, which for me had always been a word, kind of wrapped in barbed wire. I wanted to distance myself from it. It became a word I had to deal with. Now, if you're young and you're thinking, oh, great, we're talking about death. I'm young. That's kind of old people talk. I found this fascinating statistic which says that 6th to 12th graders are no longer engaging with learning in school. If you're a teacher, you probably know this, but a Gallup just came out. Over 700,000 of our American students found that a majority are not engaged at all with the learning process. I want to ask you if you're young today to engage this, even though it seems like death is a long way away. Why would I encourage you to do that? Because when you're young, you have to start to deal with the biggest of questions. And you talk to somebody in this group that's lost a loved one. It's not a small issue. It's one of the biggest questions. It's as though the entire sky, the size of the sky, takes over the way you're seeing life. I hope we all today will wake up and engage this 
issue of death and life. The seeing of my name in the sleeping place woke me up. Grandpa's death was no longer distant, it was now near. Many of us wake up in the morning to an alarm clock. I was going to have one of you like bing the alarm clock, but I was thinking that's kind of technical. Go in your own mind to what your alarm clock sounds like when it wakes you up. You know the noise, don't you? How many of us hit the snooze button because we're irritated at that noise? What if today, because of the gospel we find in Daniel, we don't hit the snooze button? I get it. Life is hard. You want to rest for that nine, ten minutes, whatever you get. What if we today woke shaken awake and given this final vision of the end. If you're following along today in the message note, the title is simply Wake Up, and here's the first thing we're going to see. Wake up and anticipate trouble before you get to resurrection. There is a definite progression that we see. See, we, we like Daniel. We want to know how the story ends. He says to these angelic beings, what's the outcome? Don't we just want to get there? What is the outcome? We're practical people here at Metro North. We want to deal with things ahead of time. We like to anticipate. We want to know if we can tolerate the coming twists and turns and troubles so we can endure to the end. What we ache for in advance, and you know yours, reveals us. Daniel was told to align his anticipations with two things. Wake up, Daniel. Anticipate two things on the horizon of your heart. Number one, there's going to be trouble. Are you right now experiencing trouble? Number two, there's going to be resurrection. But first, there's trouble. There's that season that goes sour. There's that relationship which was so close and is ripped apart. Not a thread, no hope. Daniel 12.1, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of, got to say it out loud, what's it say? Trouble. Such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Now the Jews were living life great. Daniel was a teenager, and the Jerusalem was destroyed. You imagine if Goose Creek, Somerville, wherever you're, you live, was destroyed. He's ripped away from family. He's ripped away from freedom. He has no security. He has got a life of trouble, and he's in his 80s. What a life. And what's going what's gonna to come? What's the outcome, Daniel says? More trouble. In fact, worse than your nation's ever experienced. Worse than that. Michael arises. This is cool. The book of Jude calls him the archangel, the first angel. Did you know that the people of God have an angel who is a warrior advocating and fighting for you? You say, well, that's the ethnic Jews. No, it's not. Anyone whose name is written in the book. Of course, it's the Jews that looked forward to the Messiah, but it's any of you, if you're not Jewish, you have an archangel, a first angel who fights for you. And when you're going to hear these words, there's trouble coming, isn't it nice to know that an angel 
is fighting for God's people. I told you this is a strange and supernatural book. Michael is called the archangel, and it says he arises. It's as though he wakes up to the fact that the people are in trouble. Trouble, it's kind of understated. In the Hebrew, it means anguish. Anguish is extreme hurt, excruciating mental or bodily distress. Distress. It's kind of an example of, ladies, sorry to bring you back to this, the day when you gave birth. Remember the feeling before you had the meds? For those of you that went through that trouble without them, I'm sorry. Anguish. The eyes close in pain. Here's a child who just can't fake it. It's this look of utter anguish. Nothing frightens us more than the finality of death. We want to kind of squint and close our eyes to block out the pain. Maybe that's why in a landmark ruling, a judge in England granted the dying wish of an anguishing 14-year-old British girl. She had cancer, and he gave her the wish that her body could be cryogenically frozen until the day when medical knowledge is sufficiently advanced enough to revive and cure her of her anguish. In a letter to the judge, here's what she wrote. I have been asked to explain why I want this unusual thing done. I'm only 14 years old and I don't want to die, but I know I'm going to. I think being cryopreserved gives me a chance to be cured and woken up, even in hundreds of years' time. I don't want to be buried underground. I want to live and live longer, and I think that in the future, they might find a cure for my cancer and wake me up. I want to have this chance. This is my wish. A judge granted her that wish. She does not deny the anguish. When we die is uncertain, but whether we all die is absolutely certain, and it's troubling. The streets toward death are all one way. The default destination for all of us is death and judgment. Children know this. Ring around the rosy. Pocket full of posy. Ashes, ashes. We all fall down. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul. See, our kids do not hide what we as adults tend to evade. It's troubling. Is there an antidote to the anguish? Yes. Turn down the volume on your screaming circumstances and your anticipated anxieties. Those are the ones that get me the worst. Anticipate trouble, but second, anticipate resurrection. Resurrection is the only thing more certain than the certainty of your death. Daniel 12, 1 and 2, but at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name is found in the book, written in the book. And here comes the clearest sentence in the entire Old Testament about the resurrection. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall what? Awake, some to everlasting life, 
and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus would say it this way in John chapter 5, those who've done good to the resurrection of life, to those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Okay, we're here. It's Easter Sunday. We're trying to wake up. Daniel, wake up. There's trouble. There's resurrection on the other side of trouble. Number two, wake up and anticipate, this is such good news, the termination of all your troubles. Take that thing in your life that causes you anguish. You know what it is. There is a termination to that trouble. Look at it, verse 6. How long shall it be? Okay, this is where it gets kind of weird. There's a stream of history that Daniel sees, and there's this being saying, how long is this stuff going to last? And there's another being on the other bank of the stream. And hovering above, that's why a lot of people think angels fly, is this angelic being wearing linen, which is what the priest would wear. Priests, priests connect us to God. So Daniel is hearing this angelic being standing on this stream of history by it saying, how long is this going to be till the end of these wonders? And here's what the angelic being hovering above the waters says. It's pretty painful, but let's, let's own it. When the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. First, you have to have the shattering of the power of the holy people. I wish I didn't have to say that today, <laughs> but that's what it says. Now, some of you get confused about these numbers like time, times, half a time, what's this, 1,000? Let's not get lost in that. This is a special type of literature called apocalyptic. Here's what we need to know. It's a set amount of time, and it's a certain amount of time. But something has to happen. The people of God must first experience a shattering. Well, how true is this? Well, the angelic being raises his right hand. The book of Deuteronomy says that when someone's going to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, they raise their right hand. Just so Daniel knows this is the, this is the truth, the angel does this. Both hands go in the air. Not only am I going to tell you the truth, I'm going to emphasize that I am saying to heaven, when is this all going to end? When the shattering of the holy people has been finished. But when they are shattered, it's the end. There is a termination to all your troubles. You can't sidestep suffering. Why? Because shattering through suffering shatters our illusion of self-sufficiency. Following Jesus brings more hope. The shattering will end and all things will finally finish, but it is not without pain. Joni Erickson Tata is a Christian who's been wheelchair-bound after she dove into some water as a teenager and broke her neck, and she was mad at God. She was mad that the rest of her life was going to be a shattered life of trouble. But she said this, 
Sometimes God will allow what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Why would God want us to hurt? Why? Because he wants you to start to begin to feel the pain of the world. He wants you to begin to feel the pain of others. You're going to be more sensitive when you get shattered to your personal sin against God, against others. It's like taking off your shoes like I did last week at the beach. I'm not going to walk on the beach with my shoes to give a layer between me and the earth. I walked on that beach and I felt it. And then my wife said, let's go take a picture at the water. And woo, that water was cold. When you hurt and you will, God is shattering your self-sufficiency because he wants your life to be more intense, richer, more full of joy, but with pain. Some of you are thinking, I can't wait till heaven because he wipes away all our tears. Have you ever thought about it this way? I've never met my Grandpa Howard. I got stories about Grandpa Howard. I hurt that I've never met my Grandpa Howard, but when I see him alive, I'm going to cry because he's resurrected, but I had to go through the pain. I had to see my father raised. I asked my dad, Dad, how often have you been to to, to the gravestone? He says, Howard, I was only there the day they buried him. My last memory was cradling my dad in my arms. I hear this pain my father goes through. I hear the pain of all of you. I, I, hear the, I have the pain of my own, my own namesake. But when he is resurrected in front of me, and he comes over, I don't know if he's going to hug me, shake my hand. I will be crying, and Jesus will be wiping my tears saying, Oh, I didn't say you'd be tearless, Howard. Some of the greatest tears are the tears of joy, but the trouble, the anguish, wake up. It comes, but there will be a termination to all our troubles. We've been following Wang Yi and his wife, who in December are Christians at a little church like ours. And I think Wang Yi, because he was taken from his home and put into jail, and everybody's thinking 15 years minimum, this Christian pastor and his wife will will not be seen again. He wrote a letter just in case this would happen, and I want to read to you what he wrote in his letter. He said this, Suffering is the way we testify to another eternal world and to another glorious king. The mystery of the gospel lies in actively suffering. Even being willing to endure unrighteous punishment, the result of love and forgiveness. The cross means being willing to suffer when one does not have to suffer. For Christ had limitless ability to fight back, yet he endured all of the humility and hurt. The way that Christ resisted the world that resisted him was by extending an olive branch of peace on the cross to the world that crucified him. That's a wise person. You'd think he'd be discouraged, disappointed, depressed. Look at Daniel 12, verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Wang Yi, we've been following for the last 12 weeks, is so hoping to turn all of China to Christ. I never heard of the guy until his suffering. 
He's helped me suffer with his attitude. He reminds me of not something dark, something so bright. He's a wise person, it says. What is it? Who, who, who amongst us doesn't want to be a star? Who doesn't want to shine? Who doesn't want to glow with glory? But the, you must become the bright, explosive expression of God and defeat darkness by going through trouble. You've got to become a wise person. That means God's goals, using God's ways, you, you have to turn others to righteousness. How were you turned to righteousness in your life? Are you, are you a Christian? Jesus walked over to you, shining as the light in life, and he says, you are one dark, dirty, grime, full of grime. I want to shine, Jesus. But here's how it's going to work. I will have all of your dirt wiped upon me. And I will wipe upon you all of my glory. Now that means you've got to do two things. You have to admit that you've got to be cleaned. And you have to receive being in Christ, clothed with his righteousness. How can a sinner shine, you ask? Turn to Christ, admit your sin, let him wipe it off of you and onto him. Your sin now belongs to him. Some of you memorized 1 Corinthians 5, that last verse that it says that Christ took upon our sin and we become the righteousness of God. Billions of years from now, when the very stars have died, you will be bright if your sin belongs to God. And if you are now in the brightest being, Jesus Christ, his son. And that should help us relationally. When I look upon you and you look upon me, do we see the grime or do we see the glory? Billions of years from now, if you've wiped your sin on Christ and it belongs to him, why don't I start treating you now as glorious? Oh, you sinned against me. Forgiven in Christ. It hurt, but I'm going to see you as a bright, beautiful, glorious brother or sister. Wise. Shine like the stars. Intensity of light. It's going to be tempting to take a detour around death with so many distractions and ways we can decorate our life when we don't feel like we're very beautiful, because most of us don't. I kind of like what artist Damien Hirst did in 2007. He unveiled this masterpiece, a $50 million skull. It's not real. It's a platinum skull. The teeth are real, though. They're the originals. He covered it so he wouldn't, don't have to think about death with 8,601 diamonds. The large pink diamond in the middle, $8 million alone. He doesn't want us thinking about the grim reality of trouble or suffering. He wants light. 
He says this, I hope this work gives people hope and uplifts them. I want to take their breath away. It has this feeling of victory over death. Listen, religion tells you how to live. Jesus tells you how to die to your self-saving strategies to deal with your sin and your shame. Okay, you say, I don't want to decorate my life like that. I'm awakened a little bit here to the need to treasure my troubles, but how? Help me to part the dark clouds of my disappointment and despair. Well, let me illustrate. Let me wake you up to this truth. Remember, the second truth is simple. There's a termination to all your troubles. That's what's on the horizon. But many of us go through life, and can you imagine being on that long stretch of life, and you see a sign like this. Next gas, 85 miles. How many of you have been out there on a long stretch and you're going, oh boy, <laughs> 85 miles? How do you deal with the trouble? Well, it gets worse. The fuel light goes on. Oh no. How do you feel when the fuel light goes on? Stressed? Because you'll be stranded and your cell signal is really weak out there? Uh oh. What if this happens though? What if this happens? A credible sign rises up to surprise you. The credible sign rises up and you can trust that gas is not as far away as you thought. You can compare your suffering situation to the greater signs information and you'll experience nothing less than transformation. You're going to be okay. Your present longing, the fuel light is on, is not yet fulfilled but it's totally addressed by a risen sign, isn't it? All your troubles, Daniel, will be terminated. Even the death of death, because I'm an old man, Daniel says. Even the death of death, there's nothing more certain. Two facts, Daniel, that create two massive feelings. Number one, death is your enemy. Feel it. Number two, death is a conquered enemy. That's good news. But Daniel, you're an old man, and you've rehabituated your life. Let me give you a new rhythm, Daniel. Number three, some of you have done Easter services for years, but you have not yet entered into a new rhythm. You all have on the dance floor of your heart some rhythm that drives you. Y'all have it. I know what it is for some of you. Do you know what mine is? Daniel is going to be challenged with a new rhythm. And here's the rhythm. Wake up, Daniel. Anticipate the go, rest, and rise rhythm of the resurrected life. Go, rest, rise. There is a rhythm pulsating on the dance floor of our hearts. It's often anxiety. We're spinning. We're running. We're trying to maintain enoughness. That beat, though, fatigues us until we're tapped out tired. Many of us are so fatigued and flatlined right now. And God says to Daniel and to us, why don't you come on to the dance floor of the heart of Jesus? Do you know right now, Somewhere, the human heart of Jesus is beating. 
Oh, he's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Yes, and his human heart is beating. I don't know if you're in alignment with it. Do you know what he loves? Do you know what he cares about? You know he has a rhythm, and he's giving it to Daniel. Go, rest, and rise. Now, I know in the South, most churches today will say this, be a hero. Jesus is arisen. Heroes receive a mission to accomplish, and that is not good news. Listen to it again. Heroes receive a mission to accomplish. That is not good news. Christians receive an, an accomplishment to mission. Daniel 12, 13. Go your way, Daniel, till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. I love how this book ends. It's kind of anticlimactic. Daniel's like, what's going to happen? Look, you're an 80-year-old guy. Get up. Go on with your life. Because you will rest. You're going to die. But you're going to rise again. It's not the end of your life. There's life after your death. That's the rhythm. Go. Rest. Rise. Jesus Christ is the greater Daniel. He will not stay at the right hand of the Father as the second person of the Trinity. He's on the go. By the way, that's why we at Metro North put go in our mission as the first thing we do. Jesus Christ says, I'm going down there to wipe that death and grime on me. So they walk out with that white, and they'll be like the stars for billions and billions eternity. That's what I'm going to do. He comes... He enters that dark womb for nine months. He suffers. He's sacrificed on the cross for our sin. He then stands alive. Why was Jesus sent? Well, he came and was shattered as the Holy One. Why was he shattered? Because we decided, like Tim Keller says, to be our own saviors and lords, and everything in creation broke. Our bodies broke, the world broke, life broke. Jesus came and was shattered to repair broken humanity with suffering love. Jesus was sent to put at rest, was sent to put at rest our failed attempts to be enough, so we could rest forever. Remember back in your life to the last time you had a really rough day, your whole body ached for sleep. If I'm talking to any parents in here, you know what I'm talking about. Your whole body aches for sleep. You lay down, you finally close your eyes, and it's just like, ah. Jesus would come. He would die. He would rest in the grave. Why? Because we substituted our sinful selves for God. We deserve death. The wages of sin, death. He came to pay that. He substituted his sinless self for us. He took our penalty by being washed in the wrath of God until the wrath of God was all used up. In billions of matches, of, in, in billions of matches death had never won a battle until God defeated death with death. 
and proved it by rising again. Death fell down that day and life in Christ stood up. And when the king stands, everyone who belongs to the king stands with him. Jesus lived this go, rest, rise rhythm. And he opened the door. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians, a, 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 early church like, a, a church just like ours in verse 4.14. Wake up and really enter this verse. It's so good. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Okay, you say, so what? I agree. You've heard another message about Easter. So what? General knowledge about this will do nothing for you. You'll just go to sleep this afternoon, take a nap, or go to sleep again tonight and be restless. Let me be as clear as I can be. Only receiving the reality of the resurrection will change you. Let me give you a test as we end. How do you know if you'll ever get to Hawaii? Well, take a look at this Boeing. Paul, I tried to get a nice Boeing. Is that a beautiful Boeing? Paul works for Boeing. That, to me, is a beautiful Boeing. If I said to you, here's a test, so you can walk out of here woken to the fact of the resurrection. Number one is this. How do I get to Hawaii? But what if you went out there onto that flight line right by that beautiful Boeing, and you followed the Boeing as it was going down the, uh, the, the airway there, and you just tried to copy what it was doing. You're going to try to go as fast as it can go. All right, it's silly, right? A silly idea. You will be exhausted running after that Boeing airplane. Go, run, and die. Not a good rhythm, and yet how many of us are living like that? You will never keep up and get to Hawaii. You say, well, I'm not doing that. Okay, here's a second test. Beautiful Boeing. Let's put that Boeing up again. It's beautiful. It's inspiring. In fact, once a year, let's just come out on Easter and just admire the beauty of Jesus. What an inspiring story. Well, will you get to Hawaii if you admire Him from a distance? It's like watching a beautiful Boeing take off into the sunset but you'll never get to Hawaii. Go! Watch! Die! There's only one relationship that you must have with the plane if you want to get to Hawaii. It's simple, isn't it? Get in the plane! Get in the plane! If you get in the plane, go! Oh, I know when it takes off, the turbulence is going to freak you out. Life's got trouble. But all of a sudden, you hear the captain say, all right, the turbulence is over. You may freely get up and walk around the cabin. Oh, if you are in Christ, you are in him. If you are in the plane, everything happening to that plane will be happening to you. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Go, rest, rise. United to Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection means that you share all that he is, all that he's done. John 11, Jesus said it best to a woman. I am the resurrection and the life. 
whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall live. I'm going to pray as our leaders come forward as we take this, this meal. Would you pray with me? Father, we're tired. Father, this old supernatural story reveals death and trouble. We're practical people. We just want the outcome. Father, I thank you for sending your only son. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here now that's not responded to this good news, they've not wiped their sin onto your son, which is the only way to shine with brilliance forever and to become righteous in your sight. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would blow, that, you, that, that someone today would simply bow the knee of their heart and receive. It's as simple as getting into a plane, but you have to rest in order to rise. Father, we thank you for this meal. We thank you that on the very night that Jesus was betrayed, he wanted his best friends to remember what he had done, not what they had done. So they could go, and they could rest, and they could rise. In Christ's name we pray, amen.